Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Today's already a good day. And I gotta be honest, I didn't know if it would be. In preparation for today, I got, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a glimpse. This is not, I didn't learn this in seminary or Bible college, but in preparation for my message today, I'm going to give you a little bit of how I prepared it. Um, pay attention. So if you guys ever speak publicly, you might learn something today. But a lot of how I prepared my message this week looked a lot like this. I pray that I have a red spot on my head. I hit harder than I anticipated. I don't actually remember what I was gonna, no. But, have you guys ever read the Bible and you thought, there's nothing here. This section of scripture is literally just information. It's like the genealogies. Where we're at today, this is not the intro I expected, Pastor Ryan. I know. But where we're at today is like a genealogy. It's boring, and most people skip it. But there's something here for us. I was praying, and I'm actually excited. We're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 3, 6 through 12. And the reason why I didn't start with uh, verse 1 is because I feel like 6 through 12 gives us a better cross-reference of what's going on here. And so Nehemiah chapter 3 it's this, over and over. This person worked on this section of the wall. This person worked next to them on this section of the wall. This person worked next to them on that section of the wall. This person worked next to them on that section of the wall. This person worked next to them on that section of the wall. Then this person and his daughters worked on this section of the wall. And then, I mean, that's literally the whole chapter. So you understand my frustration where I'm trying to figure out, I'm like, okay, God, what are you trying to say to us? Maybe we need to go build a wall. I heard that they're trying to build one south of here, southwest of here. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't I, I, I was struggling. I was praying. I, I, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And um, I walked around. I, I would get up and I would just walk. I'm like, Lord, you got to speak. I know there's something here. I was like, Lord, I'm going to skip it. I'm going to go to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4 is juicy and it's nice and it's awesome. But Nehemiah chapter 3, I'm like, man. Come on, God. I, I should have had Amy speak this week. And, uh, and I kept praying about it, but there's something here. So we're going to just jump in. And I want us to understand that God's going to speak to us today. Some of us are going to do something with what we hear today. Some of us are going to catch something with what we hear today. Some of us are going to start sharing with what we hear today. That's what's going to happen. So let's just jump right into it. The Geshem, the Geshana Gate was repaired by Joadah, son of Peshia, and Meshulan, son of Besodia. So other than sounding like a bunch of medicine, uh, there's a lot of names in this section. So... Bear with me, because Hebrew is not my native tongue, and also I can't get that 
in my throat when I say some of these words. So, but there's a trick I learned from Mark Driscoll. He said when it comes to saying biblical terms and words that you don't know, you just say them proud and say them loud, and no one knows the difference because they can't say them either. Um, they laid beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men of Gibeon and Mitzvah, uh, Melatia of Gibeon and Jaden of Maranoth, places under authority of governor of the trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the section, the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jedidiah, son of Harumuth, made repairs opposite his house. And Hatstus, son of that word, made repairs next to him. Mount Mikjah, son of Haram, and Hashub, son of Pahath, Moab, repaired another section, and the tower of the ovens. Shalom, son of Halhesh, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Yeah, everyone just take a breath. Oh, I'm glad he had to read that out loud and not me. Come on. We made it through it. Imagine 20, 26 verses like that. The whole chapter is like that. So next week we'll be in chapter 4. I'm not joking. We'll be in chapter 4. I remember one summer... I was, my first commercial job, like, there's different grades of, like, construction. There's, like, residential construction, then there's, like, commercial construction, then there's industrial construction, and industrial is, like, like, building power plants and stuff like that. They have, like, the huge equipment, and, and, and commercial uh, uh, construction is, is, like, building, like, um, big towers and three, four-story big buildings and stuff, and, and I, I mean... I'm sure that there's overlap in each area of construction and everything, but I remember my first um, real construction job. I was 18 years old. It was between my junior and senior year of high school, and uh, I became a laborer. My first job was to push carts at Walmart, and that was actually one of my favorite jobs because I got to talk to people, and I was outside all the time walking. And... Um, my dad always said, you know, to fulfill a job, you just got to be smarter than the equipment you're working with. And cart pushing worked out great for me because uh, I was working with carts a lot. And uh, sometimes I couldn't get them to pull apart. And then I had people come along and just tell me the same thing. Got to be smarter than... <laughs> um, but I was on a, a concrete crew and like I was, I, I was a gopher. I don't know if you know what a gopher is in construction, but it sounds something like this. Hey, Ryan, go for that. Hey, Ryan, go for that. Hey, Ryan, go get that. And so I would, a lot of the times, I did every job 
that no one else wanted to do. So I had a broom in my hand a lot because a clean construction site is a safe construction site, according to OSHA. And I had a broom, or I had quick creep bags. And so I would literally walk like this with quick creek bags in my hands, and I would carry them to like, cause big pours, we would have these huge concrete people come in. And, uh, but sometimes we just had to make little repairs with quick creek and stuff, and that's what I did a lot. Well, we had a huge pour come in. We were pouring the footer for an elevator down in the basement. We were like, like, probably 40 foot down in this huge hole bigger than this building. And um, if you really want to know what it feels like, like, it gets hot here, and it gets hot where I was in Arkansas. And uh, when you're in a hole, there's no breeze. Like, I've never sweated so much in my entire life. Like, I would literally, my whole shirt would be soaking wet at the end of the day. And OSHA, you have to wear leather boots, jeans, uh, sleeve shirts, hard hats, safety glasses, and gloves, like all the time. They really make it easy to pass out under heat exhaustion. And, um, but we were doing this huge pour. And I remember my boss, uh, the reason why I remember this is because my boss, my, the superintendent of the job, there was two of them. And one was like over the concrete crews and one was like over the, um, the laborers like that did all the other stuff. And um, I remember the guy that was the superintendent over the concrete crews, he got brand new red wing boots, like the kind that lace up to like right here. And um, if you don't know like construction workers, they're, they're, they're like, they get a brand of boot and they stick with it most of the time. My, my dad, he swears by Ariat, like he buys Ariat boots, even now that he's retired. Like dad, you don't need new boots because you don't walk like, I mean like, but he swears by Ariat boots, and, and some people swear by Red Wings. This guy had these brand new Red Wing boots, and they're bright red, and they're, they're almost the color of my boots, ironically. Um, but he was just talking about how much they were. And I'm thinking, you spent more on your boots than what I make in a week, you know? <laughs> like, uh, that's crazy. Like, that's, that's dumb. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bargain shopper. If I buy something, it's on sale. Um, but I remember we started pouring this concrete, and there is a giant like truck that's like the length of this room, and and it was a huge concrete truck, and it had a chute because we were down in this hole, so we we're pouring down into the into forms for basement walls, and we we're pouring down into this footer area, and this the con no one was in there guiding it, and most of the time what you do is you put rubber boots on. And then you get into the concrete and you guide the chute. And then you have these things that you throw in the concrete and it vibrates the concrete to get air bubbles out. So the concrete settles and then you have people in there with rakes and all sorts of shovels and just leveling off the concrete. And uh, no one was doing this. I didn't even know you're supposed to do this. You know, I'm, like I've only ever I've poured is quickcrete and, and you could just like just hit the side of the form with a hammer to get the bubbles out, you know? And I was like, is that what we're supposed to do with like 12 tons of con con I don't know. And he jumps in. He jumps in and grabs the chute. And he's standing in two foot deep concrete. And he's guiding it 
to make it level. And I remember thinking, that's a leader. He got in there, and he got his, his boots completely, he, he ruined them. His brand new boots he got like the night before. He didn't have time to switch them because the concrete got there early. And, but ironically, after he jumped in, everyone else was in the concrete. It was like a concrete pool party. Everyone was in the concrete of that. Like everyone had a tool in their hand and everyone was doing their part what they were supposed to do. But it took this guy jumping in. I see in this section of scripture, if you continue to read, there's all sorts of people working on the wall. There's perfume makers, there's daughters, there's priests, there's rulers. There's all sorts of people working on the wall. And I started thinking about the, the variety of people working on the wall. And I, I thought, why, are, why is such a variety of people working on the wall? Why? And I thought, something happened to make them want to work. And I started thinking about Nehemiah. Nehemiah had a vision. And so I started thinking about vision and how it can be contagious. So today, I want us to explore the thought process of contagious vision. Because when we get a vision from God, it should be contagious. When we have a plan and a, and a course of action that God wants us to fulfill, that should be a contagious thing. And so what, what would make what would make a perfume maker get out and start masonry work? What would make a goldsmith get out and start masonry work? What would make priests get out and start masonry work? What would make rulers of Jerusalem get out and start masonry work and even making their daughters work? There is something that they caught. There is an excitement in the vision. So today... I want to give you four elements of contagious vision. And the first element of contagious vision is share the vision. So in order to understand, in order to share the vision, though, this is it's kind of interesting. You have to catch the vision. But we're going to talk about catching the vision second. But Nehemiah, in order to get the vision, he got alone with God for the vision. I think it's kind of interesting, if you go back and look at Nehemiah chapter 1, what's interesting is he spent time with God as soon as, soon as he heard the need. And I don't, know, I don't know if he instantly thought we got to rebuild the wall, but the first thing he did was mourn, if you recall. He mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. And I believe it was in this time frame that the Lord put on his heart that the walls had to be repaired. And there was a time gap between when he heard the destruction of Jerusalem and when he stepped before the presence of the king. So God gave him the vision in order for him to share the vision. Some of us here today are wondering what vision are we supposed to be sharing? What vision 
is it that we're supposed to be excited about? Because Nehemiah was excited. Sometimes we, we misinterpret the meaning of excitement, but you can have excitement while you're horribly crying. You can have excitement when you're hurting. Because excitement doesn't necessarily convey joy, but you can be excited. Nehemiah was excited about the vision that the Lord put on his heart to the point when he shared the vision with the king, the king got on board. He was so excited. But if you recall, when he went before the king, what did the king notice about Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10? He noticed that Nehemiah was sad. But Nehemiah, seizing a God opportunity, got excited about the God opportunity, and then he shared the vision what the Lord placed on his heart. And that got the king excited. The king caught what Nehemiah shared. Man, my vision for C1 Church and what I feel the Lord laying on my heart, and this is why I go and talk to people about Jesus. This is why I, I try to encourage and build you guys up. And not, I mean, not just because um, I'm your pastor, but because I'm excited for what God's going to do in Columbia and through you guys. But my vision for how we're going to do that is kind of vague, but kind of narrow. How can it be both? It's a paradox. So I want to glorify God. Let's all agree. Let's glorify God together. In order to glorify God, that means we got to get rid of ourselves. Ourselves get, get in the way of God getting glory. And another way we can glorify God, I want to win the lost. we got to fulfill the Great Commission. For me, I'm a very vocal person. I can walk up and talk to a wall and have a two-way conversation with it. Uh, in fact, this, this, this week, I was, I was just walking down the road, and um, I, I was just praying, and I saw this guy just sitting in the shade, um, which is a great place to sit when it's hot. Um, state the obvious, that was last week. Um, but this guy, he was, he was smoking a cigarette, and, and, uh, um, and he was just chilling there. And as I'm walking, and I'm, I'm praying, I'm doing kind of my prayer walk around the square, and I felt like the Lord's like, hey, you need to talk to him. And in the back of my head, and this is my humanity coming out, uh, FYI, I'm human, I have thoughts, and sometimes I argue with God. I was thinking, Lord, I don't want to smell like smoke all day, because this was like at seven, like 8.15 in the morning. It was pretty early. And... Um, People that I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not condemning smoke or anything like that. I'm like that's I just don't smoke, so I smell it more than people that do. Um, and but the, the Lord's like, you really need to talk to him. So I just walked up. I was like, hey man, what's going on? I'm like, I'm Ryan, and he looked at me like, why are you talking to me? I get that look a lot. I'm not gonna lie. Um, my son gives it to me. Um, my wife gives it to me. Uh, uh, my daughter, when she wakes up in the morning, I pop my head in and say, good morning. She goes, why are you so happy? You know, like, but he kind of, he's like, well, I'm Charles. I was like, hey, what's, what's going on? You know, I just started talking to him about life and everything and said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm the pastor at the local uh, church right down the road here. And I, uh, he pulled it up on his phone. He Googled us. He's like, oh, yeah, that looks awesome, you know. And um, we had this whole long conversation. And I said, listen, 
um, C1's awesome, and I'd love for you to be there. But I said, the reality is, I feel like God told me to stop and talk to you. I said, I, that might sound crazy, but God loves you, Charles. He cares for you, and he wants a relationship with you. And man, he started crying. And he was going through some stuff. Well, I ended up texting him, and I prayed with him. Long story short, he, uh, he ends up giving his heart to Jesus. And um, he was facing some stuff. He texted me, and he said, hey, everything got dropped. Everything that we prayed for got dropped. I said, praise God. I said, dude, you got to get plugged into a local church. I said, I would love for it to be C1. But, man, be at church somewhere Sunday. And I gave him our church information. I don't know whether he'll ever, he'll ever come. I don't know. But I want us to win the lost. I want him to be here. I want him to be baptized here. I want more people. I would love to have a continual baptism service every week because we just have so many people getting saved. Like, we get them saved and like, hey, come to church. Let's get you baptized, you know, because we need to do that. But that's my strength. My strength is to talk to people. It's still scary for me. I don't want to, like, degrade that. Sometimes I'm like, I'm like God still pulling teeth with me, and, like, I'm still maturing. Especially now I shave my beard, I look like I'm 12 years old. So, uh, like, yeah, where's our pastor and who's this teenager? Um, but we're all called to evangelize. How we evangelize might be different from person to person. I would love for all of us to be able to just to walk up and just cold turkey start talking to people. And maybe you could pray about it. The Lord might give you that gifting. But what's your, what are your strengths and how can you use that to evangelize people? How can you use what, your gifts to evangelize people? Because we got to glorify God. we got to win the lost. How can you use the gifts that God's given you to win the lost? I'm not trying to make you into me. That's not my goal. I want you to be like Jesus. And I want me to be like Jesus. And the closer we all get to Jesus, the more we're going to look like Jesus and the more that we're going to look like each other. It's kind of interesting. If we're all trying to look like the same person, we're eventually going to look alike. Um, but God's given you strengths. How can you use your strengths to win the lost? How can you use, maybe you just have a pleasant face that everyone just walks up and just talks with you. And you don't know why. You're just sitting at your desk and that, that person's just like, man, i got to tell you about my... God, why does everyone unload on me? Maybe that's your gift. Not to say that you're a dumpster, but what if you can use, what if you can use your gift to win the lost? And my third, my third emphasis is how are we edifying the body of Christ? Edify means build each other up. For me, I, I, I really like to, to speak into people. I, I like to encourage people. Um, I like to say, man, you're doing a great job. But some of us have different gifts. Some of us have different uh, love languages that we can use to edify each other. How are we building each other up? How are we encouraging each other? Maybe it's just um, having people over for dinner. Maybe it's just uh, going out to coffee. Maybe, maybe it's just sending a card. But we got to build each other up if we want to effectively win the lost and glorify God. So... I say th those are the three things that C1 has to be about. That's the function of the church. I'm not making anything new up. I'm not smart enough to make anything new up. The function of the church is to glorify God, win the lost, and edify the body. How are we going to do that? 
And so I want us to each use our gifts. That God's given you gifts. God's given you something. Use it to accomplish the vision for C1, to reach the lost of Columbia, to reach the lost, to, to edify the body. Share the vision. Share the vision. Nehemiah shared the vision with the king, and it led to construction of a wall. He shared it with the right person. When I was in South Africa on a missions trip, we got to go to a hospice. And in this hospice, people were dying of two things, full-blown AIDS and tuberculosis. And they told me something about tuberculosis that I did not know. I knew to an extent with HIV, HIV will lay dormant in your body um, for a long time without showing any symptoms, but while you have HIV, you're still contagious. You can spread it all around even though it's dormant. But tuberculosis, on the other hand, is different. Tuberculosis, and we've all heard of TB, um, and it's curable, stage one is. But once, you, once it becomes active, tuberculosis can lay inactive in your body for up to seven years. And while it's inactive, you're not contagious. You're not giving it to anyone, and you have no signs or symptoms of the, the disease. But once it becomes active, it's like, boom. Like, you see people that a lot of times that have tuberculosis, they have to wear masks in public because they could just breathe on you, and you could catch it. When we went into this hospice house, they're giving us all these specialized masks. that and They look like normal medical masks, but they, like, killed stuff as you breathe, like, through it and stuff. And... And we're trying to tell people about, it, it was kind of an interesting dynamic as you're trying to tell people about the love of Jesus. And I was like, man, I could only imagine Jesus walking up to the leper and just like, hold on, let me uh, put this hazmat suit on before I talk. I was like, Jesus loves you, but we don't because I don't want what you have. It was a very odd thing. But we, got to, we still got to tell them about the love of Christ. We still got to evangelize people that were literally on death's door. And am I comparing sharing the vision to tuberculosis? Yes, I am. Because I want us to be so contagious that we just breathe it and people catch it. That's how contagious I want us to be about the vision. So... I remember thinking, I don't want this, and I won't even know if I have it for seven years. Luckily, that was in 2011. It's been more than seven years. I don't have tuberculosis. Um, but I remember thinking, this is a crazy, crazy thing, that uh, something can lie dormant in you for so long, and then once it just out of the blue, just activates. Know what tuberculosis does to you? while it's dormant in your body, it's literally breaking you down, and you don't even know it. It's breaking your immune system down, it's breaking your, your defenses down, it's breaking the walls down for it to become active. And sometimes God will lay a vision in us, sometimes we will go through a season of dormancy, and know what God does in that season? He breaks us down, he gets us out of the way, so when he's ready to activate it, there's no more of us, stop it. Because I could tell you this, I'm really good at stopping what God wants to do if I let me get in the way. So one of the things I pray for myself is, Lord, get Ryan out of the way. 
get Ryan out of the way. Because I don't ever want to be the cause of someone not getting what Jesus has for them. I don't ever want to be the cause of getting in the way what God wants to do. God wants to do something in and through you, but sometimes we got to let that vision permeate in us, that purpose consume us and get us out of the way because no one else gets in the way. Pride, that's one of our defenses. Uh, um, our own ideas of how we think God's going to do it is, is something that gets in the way of God working the way he wants to. And so it's kind of interesting I know I can think constantly, okay, God, I really think you're going to be, I, I think you're going to do it this way, which is a futile thing for me to think. Is it not? It, for me to try to figure out the mind of God, the other day I was just praying and I really felt like the Lord said, quit trying to figure out how I'm going to work it out. I'm like, 10-4, I got it. If the, I, it was so clear to me. He's like, Ryan, just, because... What, what happens when, when we try to figure things out, we get in the way of God just doing. And then when he starts to do, we don't recognize it because it's not how God wanted, it's not how we figured God was going to do it. And so I don't want that to happen. So I've been, I've been really trying to say, okay, God, what am I trying to figure out? What, for the church, what's going on, and how can I get out of the way so you can do it? How can we get out of the way so you can do what you want to do? Because stuff is happening. Revival's coming, and it might not be the way we expect it. But that's a good thing. So, Nehemiah. Nehemiah shared the vision. He shared the vision with the king. He shared the vision, last week we read, with the Jews, the priests, the rulers, and everything like that in verses 11 through, I think, 22 in chapter 2. He shared the vision. Every person, get this, every person that was on the wall was because they heard the vision. The perfume maker was on the wall because they caught the vision. Like, it wasn't something they came up with on, on their own. They were living there for how many years with broken down walls, but someone spoke a vision that was contagious and it got them to start building. It got them to start doing. So we got to share the vision. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I'm, I'm at that point. I need to start sharing the vision. Ultimately, the vision for God and mankind is that we all go into all the world and preach the gospel. My, my strength is to talk to people about it. Maybe your strength is to build supernatural relationships and, and you're able to pour into them over time and lead them to the Lord. I don't know what your strength is, but that's the vision for humanity, is that none perish, but all come to repentance. So we got to get excited about the vision. The next thing is we got to catch the vision. If, 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 you, if you are to the point where you're sharing the vision, that's awesome. Maybe some of you guys are like, man, I don't even know the vision. How can I catch the vision? Well, you get around people that are excited about the vision. You get around people that have the vision, and then you're going to catch the vision. You will catch it. If you, if you spend enough time around people with tuberculosis, guess what? You're probably going to catch tuberculosis. So often, we want to jump straight to big things for God. But I find that big things for God start with small acts of obedience to God. 
this big thing of building the wall. All these hundreds of people. Nehemiah did not walk up personally to every person in Jerusalem and share the vision. He actually shared the vision with a select few people, and then they turn around and shared the vision, and they turn around and shared the vision, and they turn around, and it got down to people's daughters, it got down to the perfume maker, it got down to the goldsmith, it got down to the priest, it got down to the, the people just building the wall in front of them. And some of them might not have ever heard the vision, but they saw their neighbor building the wall. They're like, well, I better jump in on this. They're building. I'm going to build. Because the vision is contagious. God-given vision is contagious. These people were on the wall because of vision. But it all started with a small act. Nehemiah spent time before the Lord. Then Nehemiah spent time getting calluses on his knees, crying out before God. We so often want to jump through to the crusades and win thousands, but if we're not spending time before the Lord getting our heart ready for what God's going to do, if we're, if, we're not, if we're not humbling ourselves before the Lord, if we're not going after what God has for our hearts, we will crumble under the big thing that we so much want. We will crumble so it's in that dark room, it's, 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 in that, it's in that alone time where God prepares us for the vision. Catch the vision. How do you catch the vision? I think we should take one out of Nehemiah's playbook. Get alone with God. Maybe you have, maybe you say, man, I really want to be about glorifying God, winning the lost, and edifying the body. Glorify, edify, and win. How do you catch it? Start praying about it. Lord, how can I win the loss today? Lord, give me opportunities to win the loss today. Um, how can I edify the body? Lord, send someone to my life in our church that I could text today and just encourage them. Maybe it's just, hey, I'm praying for you today. Maybe it's, hey, how are you doing? How is that? Whatever it looks like. Maybe it's a phone call. But it starts with that, God, who do you want, how do you want, where do you want? And then God will lead. God will lead. You know what's so interesting is not everyone will catch the vision the same way. Nehemiah heard about the walls that were broke down and the gates that were destroyed. His brothers saw the walls and the gates destroyed. His brothers did not get the vision from God. But guess what? His brothers helped rebuild the walls. Not everyone will catch the vision the same way. Nehemiah caught the vision because he spent alone time with God, and then he turned around and he recruited people that saw it, and then they were like, I'm in. Let's do it. I'm in. Let's do it. In order for tuberculosis to be contagious, it has to be in you. You can't, you can't spread something you don't have. I want us all to catch this. God's doing something in Columbia. Like, the more I talk to, to, to different pastors, the more I talk to... Uh, um, different people. I can just feel it. People are hungry. 
man, I, I can't tell you how many conversations. I, I mean, I, I, I could tell you probably how many people I've led to the Lord on the streets. Probably about three in the time I've been here. But I've had a lot more conversations about Jesus. People are hungry. Sometimes they blow us off. Um, Phil actually saw someone blow me off the other day. I started talking to him, and I was like, hey, man, man God loves you. He's like, I know. I went to seminary. I don't need to hear it. I'm like, all right, peace out, dude. And uh, it was, uh, it was, and I was like, I'll be praying for you, Bob. And uh, I walked out of that store praying for Bob. And, uh, but you're going to bump into that. Don't be discouraged when you do. Just keep doing it. Just keep telling people because you will get, you are contagious when you get the vision in you. When you get excited about what God's doing in you, people are going to notice. When you have that joy of the Lord on you, people are going to notice. Man, you're going through that hardship. You're going through that divorce. You're going through, how are you so able to keep your, your, your head up? How are you so able? You're like, man, God is with me in this. God has saw me through. He has been faithful from day one, and he'll be faithful till I die. So that is why I'm able to keep going. That's why I'm able to keep the smile on my face. I might not be happy right now, but I got the joy of the Lord in my life, and he's going to lead me through this time of pain. And man, that's going to speak more to people that are going through it than, than a thousand conversations with me on the street. You gotta, you, you can't spread it if you don't have it though. You gotta let it get in you. You gotta let the purpose of God permeate out of you. And there's joy in the vision. There's joy in the purpose. When you understand and you're walking in the purpose that God has for you, you can't help but get up on the wall and start building. You can't help but say, man, I gotta be a part of this. You can't help it. It's time that we share the vision. It's time that we catch the vision. It's time that we become contagious with the thing and the purpose of God. We can't let it lie dormant anymore. It's time for it to be alive in us. It's time for us to be alive. The last thing I'm going to hit you with is we got to do the vision. It's not enough to share it it's not enough to hear it. It's not enough to catch it. We have to do it. You might say, I don't know what I'm doing. That's okay. I guarantee you that the perfume maker was not a mason on the side. If you want to talk about unqualified people to build a wall, go read chapter 3. It's insane. Like not, like maybe the goldsmith might have an idea but there's not one mason listed in that whole list of people building the wall. There's not one of them. They're all from different walks of life. There's a perfume maker. There's this ruler and this guy's daughter's building the wall. There's priests building the wall. There were um, goldsmiths building the wall. There's some Joe Blow over here building the wall. You're not unqualified to do the vision. We unqualify ourselves, but if God's put a purpose in you, you don't, get the, you don't get the choice to unqualify yourself. God qualifies you for the purpose and the work that he's called you to. And that's the reality of it. So we got to do the vision. Don't unqualify. Well, I've, I've gone through this. I'm actually going through something really hard right now. Or 
um, you don't know my history with, 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 with relationships. You don't know uh, like how I've bounced around from, re- you know, you don't know. You're right, I don't know. But you know, the cool thing is, God knows it. And he still chose to put that purpose on you. And he still chose to call you. He still chose to let you catch the vision. He still chose to say, I want you to be a part of this. If God knows it, and he said, I'm going to qualify you, whether you think you're qualified or not, that's enough. That's enough. You're qualified based on what Jesus did, not based on what you've done. Jesus qualifies you through his cross. Death, we, we sang it. Death was arrested. We just took communion to remember it. But we got to understand that Jesus qualifies us. I can only imagine what the perfume maker was thinking. It might have been hard at first. It might have been hard at first to build the wall. But, you know, I've noticed that through repetition, things become easier. Um, I got I got to tell you something about the gym. I hate the gym that I go to. I do not enjoy it. It kicks my tail every time I go. And um, I also... Where I go, they have this alarm on the wall <laughs> that it's, it's, it's called a lunk alarm. And their definition of a lunk is someone who breathes heavy, grunts, and slams the weights. And I, I'm like, I don't do that, but I'm still waiting for it to happen to me. Because whenever, if the alarm goes off and someone reports you for lifting too heavy or too hard or whatever, you ha- you're asked to leave for the day. And... <laughs> And I'm like, so I'm over there going, trying to be as quiet as possible. But I'm listening to like Steve Furtick or Hillsong or whatever, so I can't hear myself breathe. And, but I told Ames, I said, listen, as soon as everything and all the machines get maxed out and they get easy, I'm going to a real gym. And technically Planet Fitness is a real gym, and I'm not... I'm not saying that you can't get in shape there or anything like that, but um, I, I, I just I have a hard time with it. But one thing I've noticed, though, with working out is things get easier with repetition. I didn't go the first, like, when we moved here, I made, I made a vow to myself. I said, I have to get back in shape because last July, our membership ended, and I knew that the Lord was leading us somewhere else. And so we didn't want to pay for a whole year not knowing when we were going to leave. So, um, and also, I, I, w- I, was, I was having a hard time. I was fighting some stuff, and I was really trying to seek the Lord for discernment and what he was trying to speak, because where we were at, we love our kids. We love our students. And um, I just wasn't making time for the gym like I normally, I said, no, I have to do this. Because Amy made a vow to me once. Before our wedding vows, maybe after our wedding vows, she told me if I ever got out of shape, she'd leave me. And so I was like, man, I'm borderline there. And so when we got here, I said, I have to get into the gym. I have to and that first time I went to Planet Fitness, I'm seeing this grandma over there lifting more than me. I'm like, I'm just, I'm picking out the 70 the or five year old woman to keep up with. And she's just like, 
great, isn't it? I'm like, <laughs> she's like, sir, do you need help on the treadmill? And um, like, I wasn't even on the, you know, like I just walked into, I, that was just my walk from the parking lot to the gym. <laughs> and, uh, but repetition makes easy. Nothing gets built overnight. And stepping out and repeatedly laying that brick, repeatedly doing the right thing, repeatedly going after God, repeatedly going and doing, it gets easier. What I started off with just 11 and a half weeks ago, I'm, I'm past. Because repetition makes easy. And so often we want to go straight for the 75-pound dumbbells and start curling them. Know what that's going to get you? That's going to get you hurt. Like, if I tried to do that, this is what it would look like. I would, I would do it like this. Like, because I wouldn't be able to do it. I would have to swing it. I, I, might not, I, I might even get it right here and it would fall back. I couldn't curl a 75-pound dumbbell if I tried. It would kill me. It would hurt me. It would get me all, it, but we go straight for the things that look good. Oh, yeah, man, everyone wants to curl the big stuff and do the big things. But, man, if you start with the little things, curling the little things, doing the little things right, you'll get to that in time. But it starts with doing. Repetition makes easy. Repetition makes strong. The perfume maker might not have been able to do the wall very well at first. Because that's not what he was used to. His strong point was making perfume. That's what he did for a living. He was not a mason. So he was not used to picking up rock and making mortar and doing all that stuff. But after so long, it became easy. He, beca he, he found a new normal. And when it comes to the things of God, it might seem awkward at first to step into your calling, to step into your purpose, to step into your strength for the Lord. But after so long of doing it, you will find that that's your new normal and that is your strength and you can't wait to do it. You can't wait. Man, the first week we were here, I was looking for excuses how not to go to the gym. I wanted to go to the gym, but I didn't want to go to the gym more. And Amy's like, Ryan, I'm going to grab the kids and leave. No, she didn't say that. Um, no, but she was like, Ryan, you need to go to the gym. We paid for this membership. I'm like, Aah! So, like, I would go on the days they had free pizza and <laughs> free bagels. You know, like, get me. Uh, but now I go, even after my family's asleep, I'll go in the middle of the night. I'll go and listen, go and pray, and go and lift, because repetition makes it easy. My challenge for you today, as you do the vision, do the vision. Let it become repetitive. Not for the sake of doing a habit, but so God can develop in you a new skill set, or maybe strengthen your, your skill set. And so, because the more... The more you're able to do, the more God's going to give you. That's a, that's a parable of the talents. When we are faithful with the little things, 
God puts us in charge of a lot. But it starts with the little. Don't go try to do the big things for God if you're not spending the five minutes a day in prayer. Don't go try to, to hold a crusade like Billy Graham if, if you're not telling your neighbor about Jesus. Do the little things and see what God does through you for the big things. But prove yourself faithful in the little. And the last thought, there's another point, this is very short, is watch God move. When we do the vision, when we step into our purpose and we we're faithful in the little things, picking up the little rock, picking up the little rock, picking up, stacking that brick, stacking that brick, stacking that brick, stacking that brick. Faithful in the little, we're doing the vision. We're contagious with the vision. We're sharing the vision. We get to see God fulfill his promises. We get to see God do supernatural things. We get to see God fulfill prophecies. We get to see all sorts of crazy things as we do. So this is the best one is just sitting back and watching God move because God just wants us to do a little and he's like, I got the big stuff. So I want to see your faithfulness and then you're going to see my faithfulness. But the cool thing is as we know God's faithful to do what only he can do, that should motivate us to do what we can do. God's not asking us to do what he can do. He's asking us to do what we can do. And he's saying, trust me for what I can do.